Well, welcome to the Everyday Church for Everyday People. I'm Jared Webb. I'm an assistant pastor here at Lakeview. And last week we talked about moving from this reality where we feel like we need to be scared of God to a reality where we know that we're loved by God, where God isn't actually this evil guy up in the sky waiting to punish us, but he is a God who created us, who wants to extend his love to us. But I think there's something more than just that move from being scared to realizing that we're loved by God. And so I want to retell you the story of the prodigal son with attention to what happened after the story ends, where Jesus ended the story. So I'm not going to go to Luke 15, but that's the story we're retelling today. A man had two sons. And one of the sons said, Dad, I've been thinking about all the money I'm going to get after you pass away. And honestly, I'd much rather you just be dead so I could have your money. And the dad is obviously this inconvenience is the dad. I don't know how he reacted in his heart, but he goes ahead and gives the son his money. And so the son goes and spends it on wild living, probably prostitutes and gambling and alcohol. And unfortunately at that time, Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University didn't exist, so he blew it all. And not only does he have no money, but he also is in the midst of a famine. So even if he did have money, there's not a lot of food to buy. He manages to get a job feeding pigs, which I don't know how many of you in the room would want a job feeding pigs, but the extra thing on top of that is if you are a Jew, you don't want to be feeding the pigs because then everyone's going to be considering you unclean and not want to get near you, even if the pigs you were with that day happened to have just gotten a bath. So, all that being said, he's working on this pig farm, and he has an epiphany. The servants, the people on the low end of the totem pole, eat better than me at my dad's house. I'll go back home. I'll say, Dad, I don't deserve to be your son anymore, but I can be your servant. Yeah, that's what I'll do. So he sets his GPS to go to his home address and heads home. As he's almost home, he sees this man running toward him. He's not sure if his dad got new security or what, if he's getting chased off the property. And finally, the man comes into view. It's his dad with his arms wide open, and he embraces him and kisses him. I've been waiting for you to come back. And the dad throws this party, kills the fattened calf because his son that was gone has now returned. And the other brother's bitter. Dad, Listen, I'm not going to lie. I'm a little salty because I've been here the whole time and you haven't even thrown me half the party you just threw my brother. Son, what you don't get is I love you, but we weren't sure if your, other, if your brother was going to come back. And he was lost, but now 
he's back. You're going to bet that I'm going to celebrate that. And the story ends there. And I wonder to myself, what happens next? Maybe that's not what Jesus' intention was, but nonetheless, I wonder to myself, what would happen next? Because I think that the son who had returned goes to bed that night in his stretchy tunic because he ate so much roast beef with horseradish. Can I get an amen? And that he just, he's uncomfortable in his normal clothing. And he wakes up the next day, and it seems like he never left. His servants had resumed the routine that they always had. The only thing that was different was that his brother wouldn't talk to him because of how angry he was, I imagine. And I think that this son who had returned would desire to please his father like he had never before. To do everything he could to show his dad his gratitude for letting him come back home, not just as a servant, but to be the son that he didn't deserve to be anymore. And I wonder if it lingered in the back of his mind, my father has been gracious to me. He's given me a second chance. But I'm not so sure if I mess up again, if I'll get a third chance or a fourth chance. I need to make sure I can do everything in my power to make sure that the Father has no reason to kick me out. I wonder how many of us live in this reality where we've been welcomed back into the family. We've come home to God, so to speak. We consider ourselves a Christian. But everything we do, our desire to please God, is rooted in this fear that I need to be good enough to stay in the house. I need to be good enough so he has no reason to kick me out. Is that you? So again, last week we talked about the move from being scared of God to knowing we're loved by God. But I think that there's something else that needs to happen. Because there's all sorts of relationships in this world, ones that are rooted in love, ones where the both people know they are loved by the other. But sometimes there is a person in the relationship who does everything they do in an effort to make sure the other person has no reason to leave them. In an effort to make sure that that person wants to keep them around. I think that we live in this reality with God sometimes. We know that we're loved, but we also recognize that he is a God of justice, and technically, he has the power at any moment to say, as one of my childhood friends was famous for saying, we're not friends anymore. He has that power, and we live in fear of it. And so you might be thinking to yourself, okay, well, where, where is it in Scripture, Jared? You just added your own story to the end of Scripture. I mean, I'm getting there, okay? So... 
1 John chapter 4, 16 through 19 is where we're going to be spending our time together. And that's 1 John chapter 4, verses 16 through 19, which says, We know how much God loves us, and we've put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who love who live in love, live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in the world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we're afraid, it's for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he first loved us. So let's unpack this a little bit. So John is the writer of this letter, St. John, who wrote 2 John and 3 John and Revelation and the Gospel of John. And he starts out the letter showing how he's got credibility. He says, listen, I saw this guy. I touched this guy. I heard this guy. Jesus, he's legit. I'm legit. Listen to me. And he starts to unpack how there are these Christians who seem to be struggling with the idea that if we're followers of Christ, then we need to act like him. That it is necessary for us to actually look like Jesus. And John also says we need to move from darkness into light. That if we have really experienced the love of God, then we are going to be people who love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so now we arrive at the subject in these verses, 16 through 19 of chapter 4, of our love being perfect. And if it's less than perfect, we know that we will fear judgment. So what's this fear of judgment, the judgment day that John speaks of? If you don't know, he's talking about the fact that we all have to stand before the Lord one day. And so he's identifying the fact that you could be a Christian who still lives in fear of the fact that you don't know what God's going to say to you on the last day. That it's possible to be a Christian who doesn't know what God actually thinks about them what his assessment of them is. So, it is a scary picture. It is a scary picture to live in the reality where you don't know what God is going to say to you. And wouldn't you, if you lived in this reality, be motivated to build the best case you could to make sure that when you got there to the judgment day, You could say, look at all that I've done. You can't kick me out. This is the reality, I think, that John is talking about. And I want you to think about something. In your relationships, would you really enjoy it if your kid or your significant other or your friend did every single thing they did because they were scared of losing you. 
did every single thing they could to make sure that you had no reason to reject them. They lived in this constant fear that you were going to judge their relationship as worthless. I mean, you might get some cool stuff out of it, maybe some chocolate, some nice dates. I'm not saying there's no pros. But are these the kinds of relationships you really want? John explains that when you live in love, you live in God. And God lives in you. And God is love, so you're living in the love who happens to be God. And there's a symbiotic relationship going on because when you live in the love who happens to be God, you don't fear the day of judgment. You don't have fear of punishment of what God is going to say to you on the last day. So the reverse would be true. If you're not living in God, you're not living in his love, and therefore your love isn't perfect in the way that would help you to realize that you don't have to be afraid on the day of judgment. But again, nonetheless, I think it's possible, according to what John is saying, to consider yourself a follower of Jesus, to be a child in the house, but to fear what the end result will be. To not live in the reality of perfect love. And so when I'm talking about this, some of you might immediately think, oh, that's me. But I'm, I'm sure that it doesn't necessarily hit home right away for everybody. So I want to give you a picture of a person who is living in imperfect love, so to speak, as John calls it, the person who is living in fear of judgment, how they live their everyday life. Because they live in a state of bondage. It is bondage to feel like you need to do all that you do for God in order to please him or appease him, to keep him happy, to keep him from rejecting you. Because I think that a person who happens to be a Christian but has not yet reached perfect love, wakes up in the morning, wants to tell people how much that they love Jesus, but they fear that God's going to smite them if they didn't do their Bible reading that day. I think that this person goes to Bible study with their friends, has good times of fellowship, but if they mess up their budget and they don't pay their tithe, they feel like God's coming after them. I think that this person will journal about how great and wonderful God is, but they're thrown off if they didn't make it to church on Sunday. They feel guilt. This person says things like, God has to be pleased with me because I brought that person a meal. God has to be pleased with me because I read four chapters of Scripture instead of two. God has to be pleased with me because I only listen to worship music in my car. God has to be pleased with me. Insert goody two-shoes action here. God has to be pleased with me. Look what I've done. Now, hear me clearly, because I'm not saying that these things within themselves are bad. They're still good things, regardless of whether or not you are motivated by fear or not. But the issue is not the action. The issue is you. 
The issue is that your motivation to do godly things is because you don't want God to smite you. You don't want God to give you a bad judgment on judgment day. So how do we fix it? How do we overcome this thing that's so is instinctive, like biting your nails or honking when you drive past a golf course and someone's about to tee off? Sorry, Brian Warner, Mike Curtis. That was me. You can honk at me when I'm teeing off in disc golf. So um, how do you change something that's so instinctive? When you look back at the text, I think we realize that if your actions flow from fear, God's love has not soaked into you fully. If your actions flow from fear, then God's love has not soaked into you. If your actions flow from fear, you're in a type of bondage because you're not free to love people for simply who they are. You feel like you need to do all that you do to make sure that God is pleased with you. Again, I'm not saying that the good things done out of fear aren't good in themselves, but the issue is not an action issue. It's a heart issue. It's an intention issue. John says that when we live in God, our love grows more perfect. And when we live in God, we live in his love because God is love. But if the key to getting to a place where we don't fear judgment is living in God who happens to be love, how do we do it? Let's dig into that word live a little bit. Because you and I, when we talk about where we live, it's our home address, 562 East State Street, Colon, Michigan, 49040. It's where I laid my head down at night, where I sleep, I come and go, I go on vacation, I go disc golfing with Pastor Christian, all this stuff. But it's just where I lay my head at night. It's where I invite people over, but I come and go as I please. In other translations, you'll see the word abide, but the Greek word is meno, and I'm saying meno, not minnow, fishermen in the room, meno. And the word doesn't totally hit that thing that I was just talking about, where you come and go as you please, because the idea is that you go there and you never leave. It's constant presence. Constant residence in God. Constant residence in God's love. John says when you live in this love, your love grows more perfect. Your love will become perfect to the point where you won't fear the day of judgment. What God is going to say about you. So when we think about this word meno and this constant connection, it makes me think about a basement. What? A basement. Basements have been all throughout my life, okay? Like one time my, my bedroom was in the basement, not because my parents hated me, okay? But <laughs> it was just what we had. It was a finished basement, all right? And so I loved it in the summer because it was cool. I hated it in the winter because it was cold. But I've got all sorts of memories in basements. I... I slept in basements. I went to my friend's house and we played video games in the basement. My dad played poker in the basement. 
Basements, basements, basements. There's all kinds of time that I spent down in the basement. And the thing that's weird about the basement is when you're in the basement and you're occupied with something, it feels like time passes differently. And then all of a sudden you hear someone opening the door at the top of the stairway and they're saying, dinner's ready, or they're yelling through the heat vent in another room saying, get up here. It's time for dinner. Basements have all sorts of things for us to think about. But when you're in the basement, you don't get bothered much. When you're in the basement, time seems to pass differently. When you're in the basement and you got something that's really good to do, you don't want to come out. At least that's been my experience. And I think that God's love, that living in God's love is like living in a basement, dwelling in a basement. Because we can choose to not go down there because you're like, yeah, I, don't, I mean, I don't want to go in your basement. How many times, like, when you go to someone's house, like, do they show you their basement? Nine times out of ten? No, that's where they keep stuff that they don't want people to see. That's the only cluttered part of their house. Um, and <laughs> the thing about the basement is every once in a while, though, you'll have someone who has a really nice one, right? You've been there, I hope, anyway someone who's got this whole thing tricked out. It feels like they got another house beneath their house. It's like they got a ping pong table and they got fridges and they got snacks and they got video games and they got everything that you would ever need. You wouldn't need to come out of the basement ever. Just live down there on Cheetos and energy drinks. You would never need to come out. And that's the interesting thing about God's love, I think is because when we think of basements, we think of this dark and dusty and gross place where we hide stuff that we think we're going to need in 10 years, but we never actually do. And we don't want to go down there. And we think that God's love is like that. Maybe it's like, it's too ooey-gooey. I don't want to experience that. I mean, I know it's there. I comprehend it. But I don't need to go down into the basement. Really? God's love like your friend's basement that is better than what you could ever imagine a basement could be, is beyond anything you can imagine. God's love is better than what you could imagine. And it's so wonderful because it is unconditional. It is not based on your performance, but yet we still live in this reality as if God's love is based on our performance. But God loves us the same regardless of where we are in life. He loved the unholy version of you just as much as he loves the holy version of you. He loves you to the max no matter what. The basement is always there. But sometimes we either walk out of it because we didn't like it or we weren't convinced it was worth it or we just never go down there to begin with. And so again, I'm saying something that's not just about knowledge up here, but I think John is talking about the actual experience of God's love, that you experience in your heart and soul how much God loves and delights in you regardless of how you perform. I'm not saying that God doesn't want you to act like Jesus because I think that's evident, but we're focusing right now on the fact that you don't need to measure up because you never will measure up. His love is always there. It's more wonderful than you could ever imagine. So basements can be better than you can imagine, but also the thing about basements is that everything's built on the basement. 
right? Everything is built on God's love. I think that John is showing us that everything we do needs to flow out of God's love. The thing that is missing for the person who has imperfect love is that they aren't living in God who happens to be loved. They're not going down into the basement to continually experience God's love for them. God created the universe out of love. He created you out of love. He sends his son, as John says, as proof of his love. Everything comes out of love. Love is the foundation. And when you're in there and you realize how awesome the basement is, that it's better than you can imagine, that everything flows out of it, you want to bring other people down into it, just like your awesome friend's basement. The way you will know if God's love has truly touched your soul is that you will be compelled to love others. And so hear me, because I'm not saying you feel like you should love others. Oh, I should do this. No, 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 no. Because of how amazing, how wonderful the experience of God's love in your life has been, you want to share it with others. You don't have to be asked you will be compelled to share his love. When your love is perfect, as John is talking about, you have come to fully know the extent of God's unconditional, unimaginable love for you. And because of that, you feel compelled to love others. And it's not about performance anymore, but about sharing God's love, about inviting other people into God's love. You want to invite other people into it because of how much you love it, how awesome it is. So believe it or not, the point of the sermon is I want you to be a basement dweller in God's love. Go down there and never come out. But some of us have walked out or some of us have never stepped down into it have never made space to actually experience God's delight in you, God's approval of you, to talk about how he thought of you before you were even born. So let's get clear on this whole perfect thing, okay? Because when we talk about perfect love and the word perfect comes up, we get all kind of, it's like, I don't like that word. Because we think of it differently than the Bible thinks of it. And I, I kind of went into this a couple sermons ago, but for those of you who weren't here or you were here and you're watching Squirrels in the Sanctuary, we'll review. So perfect in the biblical standpoint is all about complete. Having every necessary component. So like a car, you would, you would say a car isn't complete until it has all of the things that you need to be on the road, that the state of Indiana tells me I have to have to drive a car. It's not complete until then. And then from a biblical standpoint, I could say that car is perfect. Now, in everyday conversation, we wouldn't say that. 
because it might have a few dings on it. It might not be modded out with all these cool features. All this stuff. But nonetheless, it's perfect because it is not missing a component. God is not inviting you into necessarily a flawlessness. He's inviting you into the whole package of his love. And there's a piece of it that you might be missing. You might not have sat in the basement long enough. You might not have fully experienced the depth and the breadth of God's unending, unimaginable, unimaginable love for you. Your love is not complete. You're not going to have perfect love that doesn't fear judgment until you dwell in the basement. You get the whole package of God's love in you for all of eternity, and you say, I'm not going to come out of here. You stock up. I'm camping in the basement. I'm choosing to make God's love the foundation of my life. If you want your love to be perfect, if you want to not have to fear the day of judgment, go spend time with God and see what he thinks of you. The reason you don't have to fear on the day of judgment, I think, is when you live in God and you live in his love, you already know his judgment of you. When you have a close relationship, you tell each other secrets. We believe that it is possible for the spirit to witness to our spirit that we are a child of God, that God wants us to be with him for all of eternity. So when our turn and line comes up on judgment day, we're not shaking in our boots but we're excited for what God's going to say that we always knew to be true because of how much time we spent in his love here on earth. Perfect love. That's the invitation for us today. So we're going to invite the worship team up. You might be thinking, man, we didn't sing very many songs today. Well, that's because we're going to go in the basement together. We're going to spend some time in his love. Because you don't get perfect love by trying harder. That's what you've been doing the whole time. Just trying to try harder. You get perfect love by being transformed into the image and likeness of Jesus by his unimaginable, uncontainable love. You get transformed into perfect love when you spend time with Jesus in prayer. Not just reading because you know you have to. When you spend time with Jesus in his word, not because you have to, because you want to be with him. When you spend time with him in worship, and you don't just come to Sunday because you think you have to. When you're not focused on making this list to make yourself convinced that God must be happy with me, and you start sitting in the basement. It's always been there, right underneath you waiting for you to go down there and see how awesome and amazing it is. Maybe you've thought to yourself, why am I not growing in the Christian life? Maybe there's more of God for you to experience, more of his love to experience that you will then reflect into others. And so we're going to be going into a time of worship. And this is just a space for you to have an extended time to sit in his love.
to let him make your love more perfect for you to see how unimaginable it is, how it's the foundation of all of reality and how it will compel you to love others. So let's pray this morning and then would you stand now as we go into prayer. Lord, we want to sit in your love today. Help us to feel that. Help us to know, confirming in our heart, how wonderful you think we are. Not because of anything we've done, but because of who you've made us to be. The focus is on you, Lord. With how unimaginable, uncontainable your love is for us. Would it be evident here in this room? Because we believe you're here, God. Let's party in the basement together. Let's be reminded of how amazing you are, Lord, so that we can be transformed by your love for us and compelled to love others. Let's worship the God who is love.